Hi, this is Ali and Andrew's All Aussie Accounting Adventures. And today's episode, well, it's not a tumor. What? We're talking about growth. <laughs> hey, Prax Ignition. Hey, Tower Global. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for being uh, a massive part of what we do, being our founding sponsors and helping us to get these kind of conversations out to the rest of our community. Can't do it without you. for another podcast and today we are talking all things growth, the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm, we are full go- of ugly. <laughs> we are going to do a deep dive into this one and we're going to um, share part of our stories and the mm-hmm. things that worked and the things that didn't, that didn't work. Yeah, mate, I tell you what, uh, the last nine years have been a roller coaster and uh, growth is def- growth is always a thing that people want to talk about and, yeah. and there's a lot of people that get kind of their up and up in arms about what up in it. what people yeah. define growth to be and what they chase and the numbers they talk about and what they report on and for me at the end of the day like growth is about getting closer towards an ultimate objective that you might have within your business or you might have personally. Yeah. And if that growth is enabling them, then that's a good thing. And if that means revenue growth, that's fine. If it means net profit growth, that's fine. If it means one year, 10 year, 30 years, it's fine. But yeah. how do you go about defining growth? Um, Ali, you're all, what, three years into your business now mm-hmm. yep. um, and meticulously planned the start of your business, <laughs> yes. as we all know. Yes. What growth did you set out to achieve? What happened and what have you done because of it? Yeah, well, we had this five-year goal um, that we, I guess, wanted to, to reach that elusive million in mm. five years and um, also net profit-wise what we wanted to kind of attain and, um, you know, year one – because I'd had 25 years of experience behind me, I did have a fairly solid client base that came along with me. And um, so I knew kind of where I was starting. So in our first year, we kicked on 500. Second year, we kicked on about 800. And this year, well, you know, it, I, I don't know what the finals number going to be. But ding, it, ding. It, ding, ding. Ding, ding. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, for me, growth was really about, well, I think this is what we're going to be able to do. Um, but it, ha- it has all been organic and I – For me, it was really around, you know, trying to set a goal so that we had something to work towards, you know, something that felt comfortable and Mm -hmm. achievable. And, you know, I... The thing for me was um, we grew way faster than I could have ever imagined and it was incredibly painful at, at some points. You know, in some months we were, you know, in some days we were bringing a client a day. Mm. Um, that's enormous amount of onboarding that you have to take on and you have to then deliver not only to your current clients but to the new ones and you know the team is kind of grappling at that point with you know all these new things kind of being thrown at them it's it's a very busy crazy time and it can hurt how big's your team so you, you're you're pushing the mill mark this year what, what's yeah. your team look like to deliver that type of service yeah so we've got um we've got nine team members at the moment um and so we've got a few in the philippines um that we outsource through toa global um one bookkeeper one accountant and one that kind of mixes between the two depending upon what we need from her and then in the Radelaide office, we've got Lee, my general manager, um, Rhett, who's head of compliance. Um, we've got Eliza, who does some bookkeeping, so um, payroll specialist, because we were getting so big in our payroll back end, we just wanted someone who just, that's all they did. Mm. And then we've got Helena, who's now moving more into transactional bookkeeping and another admin person. 
and then me. So, um, you know, that's really what our team looks like at the moment, but we are built heavily on tech and on systems and processes. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the number that you often hear out there that's a challenging number is a million dollars and 10 people. Mm. And you're right there. So, yeah, um, and we got there way quicker than we thought. You got there way thought. quicker than you thought. And it, it'll be really interesting to see as you push through, assuming that you're planning on pushing through and and, and growing more, um, how you go about juggling that. Yeah, well, Andrew, that's a really interesting point because when I set up All In, I did have a strategy of it being boutique and mm. small. I never actually imagined that I wanted it to be bigger. I just wanted 10 people and that was it. Yeah. And so I've had to kind of, you know, reimagine what it might look like and kind of take the handbrake off a little bit and say, well, where it flies, it flies. And that's a really uncomfortable feeling for me. Mm. What about you? Uh, look, to be honest, as I shared in our, our kind of first episode, when Illuminate started, it was just me wanting to be more relational. I didn't really have much of a plan. And and for the first kind of four or five or so years of the business running, uh, I had a business partner, which was great and we did some really cool stuff, but we didn't really have any objectives. Yeah. And so we, we grew naturally relatively comfortable. I had I had zero dollars of clients. Oh, sorry, like 47 cents of clients probably yeah. day one. Um, so I did, and I didn't have any reputation. I didn't have any network that I could tap into. I was really leveraging Jason, my uh, original business partner's network and, and all of a sudden having capacity within his realm that mm. we could work on and then growing from there, yeah. which was really, really good. Um, but at the five-year mark or so when uh, I ended up buying Jason out, um, and I'll talk about that another day, but that's where I had the moment of standing in the office wondering why we weren't doing certain things. Why isn't our revenue doing this? Why isn't our people doing this? Why isn't our clients doing this? Why, why, why? And I found myself almost pointing the finger at Jason saying, Jason, why haven't you? Yeah. And I realized, dude, Turn the thing around, point yeah. it at yourself, take some responsibility in this thing. And that was the catalyst for me to start to think about, well, from a growth perspective, from a what we're trying to achieve perspective and everything, what does that look like? And and as a result, that roller coaster has taken us quite a bit. And so we're now at a point this year where we'll be pushing past two mil. Wow. Um, and we've got a team of about 18 at the moment, but we're looking for a couple of others because we recognize the growth that we have is not stopping, yeah. um, which is which is interesting because we tried to stop it a couple of years ago. <laughs> we intentionally, as a team, said, "All right, pull the brakes. We're not going to do a bunch of stuff. We're just going to focus on internal stuff. We're going to make sure we just care about our existing clients because we recognised we'd been growing at kind of twenty to thirty percent year in year out for the last couple of years, and yeah. and the bigger you get, that twenty percent becomes a lot more <laughs> than yeah. what it meant a couple of years ago." Um, and so we focused internally and we grew faster. So what's the most important lesson that you've learned in that growth journey that is kind of the catalyst for success? I think keep the gate – don't keep it wide open. Mm. And, and, and what I mean by that is sometimes when you're trying to grow, you'll take anything. Yeah. And as a result of taking anything, you find yourself in a position where you're having to service so many different type of businesses, so many different type of people um, using different tech. Thankfully, we were 100% zero and we have been, so we didn't have that issue, but other things. And and it created confusion. It created um, stress and pressure on our team, onboarding new clients, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So if you can keep that gate a little slightly ajar yeah. that you can only let the right people in yeah. and you start focusing more and more of that, 
then all of a sudden when you're picking up those clients, you know they're in the industries that you're consistently doing really well in. They have the personality types they do. They use the tech that they do. Mm-hmm. And also they're ready for you. Yeah. They're ready and willing. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a huge, huge, huge lesson for us. And and we've done relatively well. We still have challenges because as you would and as anyone out there would, you probably look after a bunch of clients who think you're awesome and they tell their mates about you. Yes. But their mates don't do – the industries that you might want That's to work right. with. Not your all. ideal client. No, not yeah. at all. Like we don't really work with lawyers. Yeah. Um, but every now and then we'll get a lawyer knock on our door because their mate said we're awesome. Yeah. And then we have to have this conversation around, well, we specialize in e-commerce and creative industries with a dabble of alcohol, trades mm. and hospitality. Mm. Um and that's not you. Yeah. And and that's okay. So, yeah, I think that's been a huge lesson for us in growth. I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer in that too, being really clear on who your ideal client is because then that helps you with your ideal team. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a great, I guess, gatekeeper. So yep. learning to say no really early on, even in growth, learning to say no, I think that's a really important lesson mm. to take. And if you don't know, and this is, I guess, my goal setting thing. If you don't know what goal you're trying to achieve and if you don't know who you're trying to target, the scattergun approach might work, but it's not going to give you your ideal client base. What defines us? You've got nothing to define success. You've got nothing mm. to celebrate because, yeah, yeah we, you might turn over a mil or 10 mil or 170 friggin' million zillion mil, mm. but – is that what you are trying to do? That's right. Is that the target? Is that the target? And and, and defining that, I think it's really important. Yeah. And when you define that, you can then start to work backwards mm. to some extent. You can say, well, from a, a resource people perspective, what people do I need in place to ensure that we do this well? Yeah. From a servicing and a relationship perspective, how do we go about servicing these clients to ensure that they're getting what they need? And from a numbers perspective, are we profitable to a point that ensures that this is sustainable? And, and I And I bang on this so much to my people and my clients is just because it's sexy doesn't mean it's sustainable. Absolutely. You've got to get profit at the end of the day. And I think that that's, you know, the most important thing. Revenue or growth for growth's sake doesn't necessarily mean profitability. It mm. has to be profitable growth and it has to be enjoyable growth. It can't be that really painful growth all the time. And I remember when I, one of the biggest pain points I had in the growth was when we started out, I was really worried about the revenue, not the resourcing. And it should have been the traverse. I should have been more worried about filling the revenue because yeah. the revenue was actually the easy part for me um, organically. And, you know, that's another topic around marketing and branding and how do you actually make that work, yep. it just came rolling through the door. And I, I think I was in shock for mm. the first two years because I was like, where is this coming from? Why? And you've still got to deliver. I have moments still to this day um, where I'll curl up in a ball because we've just had too many inquiries. Yeah. We'll get we'll get six <laughs> inquiries in a day. And, like it makes you feel a bit sick. <laughs> it's, like it's awesome. You're like, oh, great. So many people want to work with us. Oh crap! How the hell are we like? We have to deliver now. How do we and and like we we don't accept everybody, but it's 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 very flattering to know that a lot of people want to work with you, but it's very daunting to ensure that you maintain that quality level as you grow. And I think um, it's something that you can easily get into. And I was just talking about with one of my my team just yesterday about leads we had in the pipeline and we're going to need to hire another senior accountant. So if you're a senior accountant now, they're looking for a job. <laughs> we might have one for you, but we're going to need someone because for us, we're so relational. Yeah. Um, we need people who understand people yeah. who can communicate those kind of things because the relationships aren't managed by me and Mick, who's my senior, senior like head of accounting. It's managed by the entire team directly. Mm. So 
people are so important to mm. allow you to grow. And I think that's also probably been a reason that at Illuminate we have grown mm. is that we've allowed our accounting and bookkeeping and admin team to connect with our clients and develop strong relationships. And they're bringing in referrals themselves because of the way they're handling it, as opposed to it goes through Andrew, the gatekeeper, and he just yeah. gets them to do the work. Yeah, because each of your employees is your brand. Yep. It, they are all part of the business and they can all win the work. And and maybe that's why there has been such large growth for you guys is that it's not just one person bringing in all of the clients. It's it's yep. a team effort. And I think once your team actually understands that or you can actually engage your team in that process, that's where the growth comes in. Mm. And then having to, you know, them supporting you in that and what does that mean and, and being really clear around when we're onboarding. Like when you're onboarding a new client, you want them for the long term. You don't want them to move in and out. So how do you make that such an amazing experience? And maybe that's, you know, another podcast to talk about later. I'll, I'll throw my hand up and say we're not doing that well. Yeah. Like like we, we, we well, sorry, we might be doing it okay, but we know we can be doing it so much better yeah. and and we know this because um, there's often a slack message that comes through Who, who's this client again what are we <laughs> what are we doing for them again and you're like yeah, okay cool we, we didn't ha- like we could have handled that better I get that though when you've got three or four clients coming in on this at the same time it can kind of get confusing it can. and you don't want them to ever feel that way and so internally you feel that way but you externally they mm. wouldn't feel that mm. So it's it's about just making sure that that onboarding process is kind and of if sweet. You, you look at the onboarding process as well as as you're growing and and maybe hiring a new team member or two, and those team team members might be looking after relationships. Are you giving all the new clients to that new team member? That's mm. pretty overwhelming oh, for a brand absolutely. new person, and and we did that accidentally um, recently with one of our new team members who's awesome and he's incredible at what he does, but we were like. Every new client was going his way because he was the one with capacity as opposed to looking at our team and kind of sharing a bit of that and going, okay, cool. Well, Amanda and Mick and Shane and Christina have been around for a while. Uh, Mav's relatively new. Let's Mm. not just throw it his way. So understanding that pain point of Mm. of who – not only who who has capacity – but who is comfortable and capable and confident to be able to deliver what it is that you do without fear of stuffing it up? So here's a question. When you onboard a client, do you expect to make a loss on them in the first year or two? At what point do you expect them to turn a profit? Day Straight one. Away. Day, Day one. one. Yep, okay. absolutely. So, and, and uh, like I look at the way we we run our pricing structure and our fees and it's all built into what we believe we're going to be delivering to them. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see us losing money on a client ever, yeah. it happens and yeah. sometimes it happens because our team are loving and caring and forget <laughs> that clients should be paying for certain stuff. <laughs> it happens because sometimes clients need the help and we go, you know what, we'll do it for free and it happens sometimes because of all of like everything just gets happens and we're too busy and you forget about yeah. stuff. But yeah. ideally, no, day, day one, we'd love to be profitable off them. Yep. Wow. So because you talk about a lot around that relationship and the client relationship. So you're pricing into your model Mm. that client relationship yeah. From day dot. Day dot. So, and relationship for us is just making sure that we have structured, organized, planned meetings. Yeah. So, our clients meet anywhere from once a year to once a month uh, with our team, myself, or spread throughout the team for various different types of conversations outside of lodging a document. Mm. Um, and that is where we build in that relationship. So, then those questions that come, which we still get an absolute buttload of them, mm. but the questions that come, hopefully, we can answer in those space, which means we're able to recover that revenue a little bit better. Yeah. But also, we're able to use that time to build better relationships and we can ask better questions and how are you feeling? What's happening with the family? What about that new team member you've brought on board? And rather than just 
just, okay, you've made this much profit and this is how much tax you yeah. have to pay and this is my bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find in, that works in the compliance space, but in my bookkeeping transactional space where we bring on quite large clients, I, I think people would be quite surprised. Um the volume of work you have to put in for the systems and processes uh, yeah, no, you, in yeah. the in day dot we um we don't charge for that initial setup where maybe we should I'm not sure you should yeah because is there's an enormous amount of time in that and the, my background thought there is we want them for a long-term client. Mm. So, and they they don't necessarily take those systems and processes with them because they're ours that make our, it makes us more profitable in the long term. Mm. So it's one of those, you know, catch-22 sometimes. I guess it depends it? on how you phrase it. So if you say to the client, hey, um, there's some work we're going to be doing uh, and it's helping to develop good quality systems and processes for mm. you and as a result of that, um, there will be an onboarding fee mm. or you calculate the additional costs related to that and you spread that out over, say, two years. Mm. So they're, they're paying for yeah. it but over a couple of years and then once, whilst you get to year three, you might be yeah. recovering more. It, it, it's a challenging one because to some extent it's a sales pitch you're yeah. kind of throwing out there. But also from a an ethical and a moral perspective, like I don't want to charge clients for me to figure out who they are. Yeah, That's unfair. But yeah. if, if what I'm doing is beneficial for them, yeah. then yeah. Um, one thing we all see in growth – is whether you buy fees mm. or whether you earn fees yeah. by naturally Grow, yeah. growing. Organically. What's your view? Have you bought fees before? Look, I've been in firms where they've bought fees, um, but my fees are actually all organically grown and I have had offers actually to buy fees and I've said no. And mm. the reason I've said no is that I know that a particular client fits me um, and – um, in buying fees, you don't know kind of what you're buying and they may not be aligned to who we are. And we do specialise in, say, tourism and hospitality and cloud, et cetera. Yep. So um, for us, it would have to be a really specific buy. But I find the greatest success with my clients is the relationship I build with them. And those are the ones that we've won organically. And I don't feel like I need to buy fees because I'm quite happy with the level of growth that we're having organically. Mm. Um, and in fact, that's been my biggest pain point is the growth. Yep. So to bring more on, oh, I couldn't imagine the pain in that. I guess that comes down to your objective as well. So uh, we, we also haven't bought fees. Um, we've, there's been opportunities here and there we've looked at, but we've also seen just the massive risk of of entering an environment like Illuminate that might be conducted quite differently than their previous accountant and what we're paying for is potentially not what we're getting. Mm. Um, but also the fact that we have a huge amount of growth naturally. But I guess if I put my other side of the coin hat on, if you're going to go and purchase fees and that comes with resources and people to deliver that, yeah. you might be more prepared for the growth that you've got as opposed to crap, all of a sudden I've had 10 new new people knock on our door saying they want to work with us. Yeah. And I think as being, being a part of many, many mergers, everyone talks about the culture. The mm. culture, if you're going to bring in a, another firm and bed them in, it's incredibly important that you have an aligned culture. And so often they think that they do, but when you get in there, they don't. And then it's this big person, small person, like who's holding the power, who's wielding the power. And so it's really important, I think, if you buy fees or buy a team, that you're doing enormous amount of research yeah. um, and a normal, enormous amount of due diligence because 
some people go and work for you because of the size that you're in, because of the clients you've got. All mm-hmm. of a sudden you've changed that whole dynamic and they're like, well, hang on, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm out. So I think there's so many other things when you're buying fees that you need to look into. It's not just a revenue line. Mm. It's the people line. It's the client line. It's, you know, it's the why. It's your existing clients as well. So Absolutely. if you've had to go and do a lot more work to develop the relationships with the new clients you've just acquired, what's the cost to your existing client base? Are they not getting the phone call? Are they not getting the meeting? Are they not getting connected as much? Mm. Have you changed the way you talk because you're trying to be more appeasing to the new clients? I don't know. Mm. And I'd love to be challenged here. So if there's somebody out there that has a really great story on how they've built their yeah. firm organically, then touch base with us. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear that. And and particularly from a like a smaller practitioner level would be really interesting. Yeah. There's a number of kind of mid-sized businesses we've heard that have done it. Um, at that scale, it, it makes a lot more logical sense. But mm. at a scale where we kind of play at, I, mm. I look at it and I'm, I'm challenged by how realistic is that yeah. and what risk are you really facing? I know there's a lot of people with questions out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a growth perspective, we talked about planning. We've talked about buying fees, not buying fees. We talked about some pain points. What about celebrating? So you've, you've got, you're potentially going to hit your five-year goal in like two and a half, three years. Yep. Um, we've achieved a bunch of stuff with Illuminate as well. Um, firstly, how aware are your team of your goals? And then how do you go about celebrating them from a gr- particularly your growth-based goals? Yeah. So, um, well, when we started, um, we did the business plan all together. So it was incredibly clear. Like we went into the greatest depths of our why, who our target client was, what we were looking to achieve. So we did all of that. So the the people that started with us were very clear and aligned and what that's cool. Where we were going. And I think that that brought, I think that's why we could grow so quickly. Mm. Um, and then the second part of that is we do have a one pager, you know, just stuck up on in the wall with all of our goals really broken down into just the big generic, you know, or big hairy audacious goals. Ellie wants to swim in a swimming pool full of <laughs> sparkling water. That's exactly right. <laughs> Munching on some dark chocolate. So I think, you know, that is very clear. And also just an, on that one page, it's also about the things that matter to us, the things that we want to ha- have a bit of fun with. And mm. the way that we celebrate is, you know, when we we recently won Startup of the Year, it was around acknowledging each of our contributions to that. And some of that was, you know, the flexibility in time, was the, the style that we work, it, you know, it was around congratulating those people and letting them feel like they'd done a great job because they absolutely had. But Mm. we do try and celebrate kind of each and every day about something. Like for me, it is about bringing the fun to work. And Mm. so celebrating each of those goals and knowing what those goals are is actually a big part of who we are. Yeah. Uh, We've got a similar approach, I guess, on that daily basis. So we we do daily team stand-ups, which we've now broken into our smaller teams because the scale, it would would take us like an hour to get through the whole team now. (laughs) I love that though. I love that you're so big. You have to break it up. (laughs) It's it's good. So our accounting team, our bookkeeping team, our admin team, and then what I refer to as our misfits team, which is myself, (laughs) our head of kind of community. Is it just you? Well, (laughs) uh, yeah, it'd be nice. No, it's myself. It's David, our head of community, and Jason, who's our what we refer to as our business Sherpa, who's kind of like a hand-holdy guidance guy. Um, and we go through that. But every day, uh, one of the things we talk about was what was your win yesterday? What did yeah. you win at? What was something that was great? And it could have been something I learned. It could have been a conversation I had with a client. It could have been we won a new client. It could have been 
we sacked you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It but could be anything. Sometimes you do celebrate those things. Seriously. Celebrating those things. But then from a broader business perspective, we, we, I used to do this quite a lot um, in the earlier days where I had a lot more time to think and plan and design the growth. The last couple of years, honestly, I probably haven't spent as much time on that as I'd like to. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we still have uh, reporting boards that we run through Futurely. Uh, we've got information on Office Vibe and the like that tell us about how our teams are feeling, but also what our numbers are. And we, we try to be as transparent as possible. Yeah. So our team knows certain objectives. Yeah. They know monthly targets. They know yeah. all those kind of things. And and I find that the buy-in actually becomes really good. You know, we get our admin yeah. team going, oh, hey, Andrew, um, you know, what what's the budget left for the month? And I'm yeah. like, oh, there's five grand left. Like, oh, awesome. I've got three grand that's just come through. We're yeah. only two grand away now. Yeah, I'm like, oh, so that's exciting. that's so cool. Like, yeah. And these are people that have no equity stake in that. Yeah. Um, but they they believe in what you're trying to achieve, yeah. and I think, and they see the value of that. I don't know. I, I think I think to some extent that's a culture play yeah. that you have there in celebrating growth and being able yeah. to be transparent with yeah. what you're trying to achieve. And look, we have twelve week goal, twelve week plans. So mm. um, and so I'll meet with my team one on one, you know, um, every month. But the plans are for twelve weeks, and so they've got big goals and then little little goals. And you know, some of the celebrations might be buy yourself a donut, right? Like Lee yeah. loves a donut, yeah, yeah. Or it's like going out to a you know for a team event um, or it's, you know, I'll buy them a gift. It's just something little thoughtful. It doesn't need to be the big hurrah. It's an acknowledgement. And I think sometimes that's all it takes is acknowledgement that that person achieved something and that they own that too. When you saw me speak at BGR RegTech, this is literally what I talked about. And yeah. it was it kind of referenced to what's referred as the five love languages. Is yeah. Some people re- respond really well with gifts. Some people want words of affirmation. Some people want um, acts of service. Some people want quality time. And some people, not in a business sense, want physical touch because yeah. it is about relationships. So we, 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 don't, con- don't. we don't condone butt no. tax here uh, on uh, the Aussie Accounting Ventures. But um, – but yeah, but it, but is that it's and it's understanding that yes, look, most people appreciate some dollars in their bank account, but if that's consistently what you're doing, you're not showing that you care about or you understand them. So There's when actually you see a lot of stats and surveys around that financial reward, that it is very short term. It's actually not a long term benefit, and it becomes an expectation. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, hey, this has been a really cool chat. We've talked about a lot of interesting growth stuff. Um, I'm keen to see, uh, Ellie, how All In continues to go. Now you're pushing past this uh, magical $1 million mark and 10 people mark soon. Uh, it'd be really cool to see what you do from there. I can I can remember fondly pushing through those numbers and celebrating, but also the pain uh, that came with that as we had to constantly evolve our business going through there. So make sure you keep us posted. Absolutely. And same for you, Andrew. Very, very keen. You're on that big growth trajectory, getting into some mid-tier sizes. So yes, interesting to see what kind of overheads kind of overlap there, but um, how you continue that journey because it's on warp speed. Well, we have just bought a factory that's going to have a whiskey bar in it, so that will be the overhead that will come into play pretty big soon. But that's your joy. Hey, thanks for taking the time to hang out with us today on Ellie and Andrew's All Aussie Accounting Adventures. Make sure you check us out on the socials at Accounting Adventures, as well as jump in our website, accountingadventures.com.au. While you're there, make sure, if you liked it, to rate, review and share so that more people can come on the Accounting Adventures together with us. Also, if you have a question or something that we haven't covered and you think we really should, then make sure to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. This is your community and we want you to be a part of it.